0: Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzvin, and I'm here with my colleagues Dan Seligson and Ashley Jacobs.
1: Hey, Miriam. Hi, Ashley. Every now and then I start sentences with as a parent and savor watching people's eyes roll. But here I go. As a parent of young children, Halloween is an epic pain in the ass. I want to like it again. I'm grateful that today we can talk about interesting stuff, the supernatural stuff, that makes Halloween fun again, and Jewish. We're going to make Halloween Jewish ish again, just like we did last year.
2: Halloween, which was my favorite holiday growing up, is actually rooted in the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, which took place the day before the then New Year on November 1st. According to the Celts, October 31st was said to be when the boundaries between the living and the dead were blurred. So people back then would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. All of the candy stuff came later, the big parties came later, but that's actually where the origin is. So in honor of this fantastic non-Jewish holiday, we're going to be talking about the undead in Jewish myth and superstition.
0: We are super thrilled to have author, Jewish occult expert, and friend of the podcast, Peter Biebergal, back on the Vibe of the Tribe. Peter, it's so great to have you here.
3: Thanks for having me back.
0: So let's start. Peter, tell us a ghost story.
3: There is a Yiddish story by Jonah Rosenfeld, in which a man who is tending a sick goose finds himself in the barn on the night when the bird is struggling against its own death. The man had become increasingly fond of the bird and goes to it after he is awakened by the sound of beating wings. In the darkness, the old man tries to lift the bird and take it into his house to ease its passing, but the man loses his way in the dark. As the bird is dying, the man suddenly recognizes he is not carrying a bird at all but the angel of death. Quote, It isn't a goose he is carrying, it is a goose but no longer is. It is a wing, only a wing, wings without a goose and with a weight that drags his arm. It is death, death with wings, whose beating he has heard in his sleep. The man runs, the frantic dying goose fluttering all around him until finally the beating of wings is something deep inside. The next morning, his daughter-in-law goes into the barn where she finds, quote, the old man lying without a sign of life and near him without a sign of life, a goose.
0: Well, I'm scared now. Uh, You you know, I've seen enough
1: (laughs) Final Destination movies to know you cannot cheat or outrun death. No. Exactly.
2: Never thought geese goose could be that scary.
3: Oh, you've never been attacked by a goose?
2: No, I haven't.
0: I have. And this does not shock me that they are agents of the angel of death. Although, since the angel of death, as we know, can change form,
3: mm-hmm.
0: there's no reason why it couldn't show up as a goose.
3: Especially in the thing that you love the most. right? Right. Which is, I think, where a lot of ideas about um spirit have to take place cuz it's not it's one thing to be haunted it's another thing to be haunted by the old uncle who still right inhabits the home right
2: can you go into a little bit of detail about that like how would people a know if they're haunted and b know if they're haunted just in general or by somebody close to them
3: well i think in the in the origins of communicating with the dead in the non-jewish tradition in the turn of the century of the spiritualist movement uh, actually a little bit earlier one of the ways in which interest in that really increased was because of the civil war and people were getting sort of the pat answers about how well you will see your loved ones when you die and meet them in heaven But that wasn't satisfying enough, especially for a war that had such uh, deep psychological trauma attached to it. And so people were desperate to communicate, if they could, with the spirit of someone who died. And in fact, there was a Boston uh, newspaper, which was a spiritualist newspaper. And in that paper would be uh, communications from dead soldiers to their relatives. And they would say things like, john mars who fought and died bravely at uh, so and so uh communicated with the medium to say mother i am well i will see you one day when we are reunited and so you know when the people wanted those personal messages so there's i think when we think about being haunted there is a sense that there's something familiar that's sort of encroaching that makes it all the more now there is the sort of the otherworldly hauntings, of course, but I think that the the emotional stuff is when we are in mourning and want to have the experience with a loved one i mean, I think it's in some ways why we put stones on our memorials of our dead loved ones it's It's a connection there with, with their Spirit that somehow that's rec- you know recognized or that to let them know we were there as if they would know we were there. So there's something even when we don't accept the idea that you know ghosts really live on that we I think intuitively believe that when somebody is passed they're still quote always with us right yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the pat line but I think that that's very meaningful for us.
0: I mean, if we look in terms of like Jewish thought. I think of the story of Joseph, who who was in Egypt, and then all the uh, all the um, the people of Israel went and lived in Egypt, and then escaped uh, slavery in the Passover story. But Joseph was like, "Please take my bones with you. Do not leave them here." Right. Like, so there's a sense of like you have to uh, bring, like you don't want to be separated even in death. So yes, you're not physically there, but. There's sort of the sense of you have to be present with your family in the same community, even your the the bones of That's your right. body.
3: Right now, we know that there's a, a, a because of the Holocaust, there's a a, a sense of, of negativity towards it. But I, but prior to that, again, cremation was mm-hmm. something that was not to be done. Right. And I think partly because of that, right that- Part
0: Yes, partly because of that and partly because of the idea, the Jewish idea that at the end of time um, there will be a utopian world, a messianic utopian world, Olam Haba, the world to come, and everyone will be resurrected. So they are supposed to be resurrected from one specific bone, which is why uh, cremation is like a no-no, because then how are you supposed to get put back together?
3: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: so right. you're supposed to be buried with all your stuff, like all the parts of your body. Um, yes, and, and I mean, it is a, a, a myth for the future that all everybody will be resurrected.
1: One question that I have, you know, we, we often talk about what the living want from the dead, why do we visit graves? Because we want to be close to them. Why do we leave a rock so they know that we were there, or that someone knows that we were there? What I want to flip it a little bit. What do the dead want from us? If
3: if there's a ghost, what does the ghost want from us?
0: So many things.
3: Yes. Well, so and, and there is this idea that there are three different souls, right? Um, there's the soul that is our divine soul that immediately ascends then there's the soul that hangs around a little bit because it's either confused or has unfinished business when i was a child my mother um used to cut my fingernails yep with a little pair of scissors
0: was it on friday
3: i don't know that's a good question supposed to be on friday yes and there's this idea that if you don't Dispose of the fingernails properly. That, af- that they have to be, you know. I, I think uh, they're supposed to be burned or buried or something. I don't know what she did with them. I assume she just flushed them or threw them in the trash can. <laughs> but if that you it, that there's a, a, a this so Jewish a superstition that if you don't properly dispose of your fingernails, that when you die before you can ascend, you have to go and collect them.
0: Can yep. you imagine doing that? Or yep. else you
3: wander around eternity. Yes. You to find to find find your fingernails. fingernails
0: are like a yes. huge deal. In fact, when you are possessed by either a good or bad ghost spirit, and we can talk about what differentiates them later, but the way you know they've left is they leave through your, uh, your fingernails or your toenails. Yes. And you will see a bloody fingernail or toenail. And that's the way you know it's gone.
1: It's gone. Okay, that is such an incredibly yeah. mundane task. Hey, yes. it's yeah. specific. Yeah. A spirit but, have you but you know help.
3: what? Yes. <laughs> Right, exactly.
1: (laughs) Digging around through the carpet,
3: (laughs) looking under the couch. So that's the one – that's, I think, that's the job of that sort of mediary spirit Mm -hmm. uh, of the soul. And then there's, I guess, the soul – that is embedded in the body somehow? Do you know about that?
0: So, and, and, and then beyond the three levels of soul, we also have the fact that each Jewish soul was supposed to be represented at Mount Sinai. However, they gave like a concrete number, which is like way less than the number of Jews alive now. So the idea is that each person has a splintered uh, or, you know, a fraction of a soul that existed at, and was present at Mount Sinai at the giving of the Torah. So some Which is people DNA.
1: That's like exi- that's a real <laughs> well, thing. Right?
0: It's a metaphor
1: or is it? <sighs> it? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: so 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 some people have like a whole united soul, and some people have bits of one, and that's one reason that reincarnation is a thing because right. these different Killful soul bits, earth, that's right. right, have different um, reasons to exist and and different jobs. Or purposes.
3: I wonder if that's connected to the idea too of the Lurianic Kabbalah of the breaking of the vessels. So Mm -hmm. we know the story Mm -hmm. that God, or uh, not God really, but Ain Sof.
0: That's just to explain. Ain Sof is like the nothingness that is everything, but the nothingness that existed before God created himself and his different representations.
3: That's right, which are emanated through the Sephirotic tree. But essentially this idea is that you have this unknowable, ineffable whole that has within itself this desire to create, but the only way to, to create is to have something that is not it, and so has to withdraw part of itself, and in that empty space creation is made, mm-hmm. what we call the the, the universe. But the the parts that then are have to withdraw, break. They can't handle not being part of the whole. They shatter, and really, our task is to k'un olam, is to repair the world by collecting these shattered pieces. And so, this idea of shattering and of the soul being broken is such a. It's all of a of a spectrum, right? Yeah. Of sort of this Jewish idea that we are that there's something about creation that is not quite right. Right. And our so job the, is to fix it.
1: The world is broken. Right. And the individual is broken. Yes. And, and the soul is broken. And
0: we've hit upon one of the exact reasons that people get possessed by Dibbaks. So it's actually, they use the word um. Uh, that exact word to represent how they need to fix their soul. That's why they've needed to you know, happen to somebody else's body. So a Dibbuk is, I mean, generally it's described as a male soul inhabiting a female uh, body, um, but it's a not malevolent spirit, but it's some person who hasn't quite done what they were supposed to do in life, and they're trying to get out of going to Gehenna, uh, going to part of hell by hiding out, Inside someone else's body. Um, and they need to, like, it's the it's the tikkun thing that they need to do. They are, the way to get them out is to help them fix whatever it is they didn't accomplish in life or whatever problem they caused. So either you actually help them or you just say that, that you'll help them and then get them out. Um, but they need to be fixed as well. The soul needs to before it can move on to the different stages of reincarnation, the different stages of ascending or moving through these next steps.
3: Yeah. My favorite of our uh, representation of that is in a serious man, the Cohen Brothers film. Has everybody here seen this movie? I yes.
0: haven't. He has, but I haven't and uh, we're ashamed. Okay,
3: because the first ten minutes of that movie are about a Did Book. Okay. And it's one of the great one of the great moments. Okay, we um, have our homework. In, you, yeah, yeah.
2: We'll watch it. <laughs> I have a question about divics. So we know that they have a purpose; that they want us to fulfill their purpose. But how do we know that they're here?
3: I don't know how would how would we know they have? Well, in the Coen Brothers thing, there's something there's something about the way maybe they don't quite know the actual history of the person that they're inhabiting. They have to have some dearth of knowledge about the person they're inhabiting. Right, but I think sister, they
0: act different. Like the person that they are embodying acts different from their normal self.
2: But is the person aware that they are being possessed by a dybbuk?
0: That's a great question. Do they know if they're being possessed by an ibor, which is a positive possession, like a positive spirit, or a dibok? That's a great question. And at what point do they figure it out?
3: And at what point might they like it? Right, and- yeah cohabitate as it were in the body
0: maybe some people are just fine with it (laughs) are there any
3: uh good
1: stories of of jewish demonic or ghostly possession that you've heard about that someone has tried to present as a true story
3: i haven't encountered it you mean as a true story yeah like the exorcist was
1: loosely based on a thing that people say happened
3: I haven't heard of any, not especially contemporary. Everything comes from sort of the legends that I've known.
0: I think, I mean, this is just my interpretation, but I think with the Haskalah, with the Enlightenment, a lot of the stuff got kind of pushed aside for a lot of European jewelry, at least. Um, I think in certain circles like Hasidic or more um, Kabbalistic circles, that didn't go away, but there's been an emphasis on demysticizing. That's not a word. It is a word. Demystifying? Demysticizing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, de-
3: okay. Yeah. Like
0: like extracting the supernatural. Um, to the
3: rational. In to favor, the, of, in the favor the ration. of the
0: rational. So that's why a lot of people don't necessarily know about this stuff. So we definitely have stories. Like I think in last year's episode, we talked about how the corpse bride is actually a Jewish folktale, mm-hmm. right? Um so there's plenty of stories, but they haven't been really passed off as legitimate things, like yeah, real I phenomena.
1: Like, I need like a story from 1983 in Hoboken, New Jersey, so <laughs> that I can look but at. Well, there may be, but that's why
3: we really have to make a distinction. Well, we have to make this distinction in all religions, I think, but 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 especially in Judaism, where there seems to be such strict prohibitions yes. against things like divinations talking to spirits um going to see a, a soothsayer no casting no's. spells all big no-nos but we know that the way in which people the, the, the lived expression of a religion is very different from what's codified what is um even what's textual right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what you you may not find it in the text but we know i mean there as far as i know there aren't any a formula written in any uh, rabbinical sources for how to make an amulet to protect your child against Lilith.
0: I mean, you can definitely find some stuff. I mean, they right. talk about using uh, the Tetragrammaton. The... Oh, of course. Right. right. So, so usually it goes back to names. Right. And using the name of God, uh, the unknowable, unspeakable name of God as in an amulet kind of way. Right. Um, so I, I would say there's some, they touch upon it a little bit, but it definitely had more of a folk element.
3: That's right. But I think but it's, it's very, the people who actually yes. were making those amulets, yes. even though they may be told they're not supposed to make right. an amulet. And, and what's also interesting, though, is there are hints of that. So we know that even though there is a strict prohibition against divination mm-hmm. um, in the book of Samuel, Saul, after Samuel's death, Saul, um, actually, the first thing he does is he gets rid of all the necromancers in the city. Right. But that also means that there were necromancers in the city that were allowed to (laughs) be there. Exactly.
0: Like, all this stuff really is telling us, and we can continue talking about that story in a second, but what this is really saying is that it is acknowledged that these things are real, and that's why we can't do them. Right. So it's not like, you guys are all idiots. Of course this isn't real. It's like, know what's real and don't do it.
3: <laughs> right, And
0: because Judaism is so interested in boundaries and distinctions, and it's considered like crossing the ultimate boundary. Um, so like, ex- for an example, in Judaism, you're not supposed to mix milk and meat, right? You're not supposed to wear uh, linen and wool together in the same garment. There's very... Strict rules about what it, you're not allowed to plant the two different plants in the same field. It's all about boundaries and distinctions, and this is the biggest one. But they acknowledge that it's real,
1: right? And, and the persistence of superstition. Mm-hmm. This whole thing about cutting your nails on Friday and having to be collected and be so that some spirit doesn't you know need to come find it.
0: Yeah, point later. It's just it's, practical, Dan.
1: Right, you don't well, want to find those nails mean, later. You know, right. Ashkenazi yeah. Jews have dozens and dozens of superstitions that are probably antithetical to the faith, but Maybe. they're there.
0: Maybe and 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 Mizrahi and Sephardi Jews have their own. Uh, superstitions like right. uh, I know in North Africa, there's one about painting your house. Uh, Jews of North African descent paint their houses blue so that the demons don't see the house and mm-hmm. think it's just the sky, which is pretty smart.
3: Yes,
2: that is really interesting. But
0: I do want to get give you a chance to get back to the story yes. about Saul. But,
3: but a couple of things so uh, on that though, I mean, there's on this sort of the small pointers to other things that are supposed to be prohibited but are acknowledged as real, mm-hmm. Jacob. Uh, there's a very, I think it's just a, a verse where Jacob is talking about the household gods yep. of the other home that he's in, but it's not, and he quickly destroys them, and it's an acknowledgment that they are there, that this is a part of the, um, I mean, in some ways it's a strangely respectful passage mm-hmm. to these other deities, Um my mother, for though this notion of super, was extremely superstitious, and so I grew up with, and I still carry a lot of these. If some, if somebody is if one of my siblings was on the couch, and their feet, their legs were on the coffee table. You, if I had to get by, I couldn't just walk over their legs. If I did that, my mother would say, "I have to walk back and go around." And I couldn't just, and the the curse wasn't lifted if they put their legs down, and I did it. I was the one who had to redo the entire okay so that's loop not of the an OCD? experience. Nope. Okay. Because about luck.
2: it, because it's like yeah. it's walking over somebody, yeah. like underground.
1: I, I, yeah, I yes. mean, I'm I'm now showing you my little Star of David, which is that won't protect you from anything. A superstitious no. <laughs> amulet. Of it's protection. not the Stop. Star of it's David. I don't know why Look, we're gonna it. have a
0: whole episode at some point about amulets. But that ain't one.
1: It's not helping me apparently. No, that is this, just
0: identifying you as a Jew.
1: But, but how if you bl- many people here are wearing these things? Right, but, but it's not an amulet. a yeah. mezuzah bl- would be more a powerful. A mezuzah
2: is an amulet. Right, but like if you believe in the power of a Star of David then doesn't it exist as an Thank amulet you. for That's you? What it is. Because it's you yourself are yeah. giving it power. That's true. That
0: is totally valid, but what it doesn't have is history to back it.
3: Right, so and you it can, could very can well be that the spirits amulets. don't care that you You're believe like <laughs> it's protected.
1: <laughs> and even <what> if <laughs> this is just a two triangles.
0: Mezizah. What do I care?
1: We, talk, we saw a kosher a situation yesterday. Yeah, d- it's so not blessed. It's not written the right way. If the letters are touching, it's not okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. so there's very specific guidelines on amulets, which we shall digress from because that's going to be in yeah. another episode. But definitely having a, a, mez- a kosher mezuzah is considered one of the ways to make sure that you are not haunted by negative ghosts. Mm-hmm. The positive ones, sure. But negative ones, no.
1: I have the wrong kind of mezuzah. You have the. <laughs> no,
3: shit.
0: You don't have any mezuzah. <laughs> and we just have on our office. At my house. A, a sticker of a mezuzah, which <laughs> is just maybe will optically fool demons, but.
3: Not optically.
2: We can pretend.
0: <laughs> There's
1: only a little bit of blue in it, though. <laughs>
2: yeah, only. A, but if we think it has power. I, I think that it is. I think that there is power in believing that something has power, mm-hmm. because even if historically it doesn't have power, it still informs how you behave um, and the vibe and the energy that you put out. And so. you can
3: create new amulets. Yeah, sure. Right? Yes. Like we yeah. can create new ones. I mean, it's all syncretic, right? It's right. all coming together over history through time based on the various beliefs. So Exactly. Yes. This doesn't
0: just come into existence. You know, we see... It's
3: not static.
0: Right. It's a dynamic, ongoing thing. So how, how uh, stuff was viewed during the times of the Torah is different from how it's viewed in the rabbinic era, is different from how it's viewed in the Middle Ages, is different how, you know. So throughout time, it changes and modifies. So you're not wrong, actually. Like, you're totally right. There could be new amulets, and you could probably find some source in which to actually base it. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that if you want to make an amulet.
3: Yes, but the, but the bigger point is is that despite prohibitions, yes. Jews have always practiced some form of magic or had protective – I mean, p- making the amulet to protect yourself is still an action, is still an act of magic. Yeah, of, I of, made right? one
0: to protect Dan from one of his children.
3: Yeah. Did it work? <laughs> nope. It <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show something. It was a valiant effort. Right, So the story of of Saul, after he casts out the necromancers, he starts, then the Philistines are at his gates. He says, maybe actually I need to go talk to uh, Samuel's spirit. So he finds the witch of Endor, and she, through some very complex ritual work, and there's actually uh, something that she may actually have some a material object that she yeah, uses. Like
0: but what's funny is that she's like she pretty much asks him, Are you a cop? Like she's yes, <laughs> she's right. like, you're not <laughs> if gonna you are, you have to tell because, me. <laughs> yes. Because she knows that he so King Saul goes to her in disguise. Because he knows he's not supposed to do this. And she knows that if she's caught, King Saul will have her put to death. So she's like, You're not gonna tell on me and he's like, Totally no But um yeah,
3: it yeah. was him <laughs> and so he learns from her that basically you're in trouble. The The armies are coming and you probably won't be able to withstand it. So it's kind of a, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, this is what you, know. you
0: get. You want to talk to the dead, they're right. going to give you bad news.
3: Sad trombone.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Does that bring us to our issue of famous Torah ghosts?
0: Well, that kind of is the, the first um, and most classic example. There are sort of Midrashim, sort of, okay, fan fiction. I describe Midrash as fan fiction where they talk about different uh, maybe this is a ghost. Maybe, that, but it's this is like the real, true first example of speaking to a ghost.
3: Yes, and, and which is different from an angel. Very different, right? So right. I'm going to have angel yes. questions in a minute. Yes. What's interesting about that is, does that point to, at the time that that was written, the likelihood? of an ongoing folk practice involved with the communication of spirits. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it does, because yeah. these things don't come out of a vacuum. Right.
0: right, that was that lady's job.
3: Right, that's right. And so I think that what's also interesting to understand about the history of magic, the history of ghosts, and, and these kinds of beliefs, is that we often think of them as standing outside the tradition, but they are absolutely embedded in the tradition. And that's not to say that they don't then can't have a life outside of it, but to say that um, I mean, even if we look at say the the strangest, most mysterious, most inscrutable parts of Kabbalistic legends and lore and practices, still require the essential words of the Torah to function for the mystic. Even yeah. though there is a certain kind of manipulation of them that might be seen as outside what's allowable or normative, it still requires the tradition for it to become manifest.
0: And and tradition has to grow to in, incorporate these things because nothing can exist in Judaism outside of God's creation. So we know that there's legends that the first vampires were created during the days of creation, and like like right at the end of creation, so that that's why they can shapeshift, for example. So nothing can exist outside of God's
3: plan, right? And that means you may have to bend. Yeah, you gotta you, know, <laughs> you gotta bend things a little, little stuff, bit, right? But, yes, but you have to be able to make it make sense right. within that cosmology. Yeah, right. That's why um, you can have the idea of the Lilith demon, or Lilith. right you can I'm all that. about
0: Azazel now, so.
3: Oh, I, yes, I saw that your post <laughs> on Facebook about that, and I was trying to find you an Azazel amulet, uh, but <gasps> thank I couldn't you. I couldn't find God. one, actually. But I don't yes. need an
0: amulet against him. He's my friend. No,
3: I wanted it to be oh, sort of you. like uh, yes. <laughs> uh, a, a bro, we're bros now. Right, yeah. just, yes. just
0: for our listeners who may not be familiar, Azazel is either a demon, or it's a place in the wilderness to which we sacrifice a goat on Yom Kippur. Well, not now, but we used to. Um, Not us, but ancient Jews during the time of the temple. And um, there's an inherent dichotomy there that we should investigate further in a different episode. So that's Azazel. And he's also considered to be one of the potential quote-unquote watchers um, who at the beginning of human time came down and taught humanity stuff. Like Azazel is the one who taught us about knives and makeup, which is why I really like him. So I've been invoking him every time there's like a traffic jam and I need to go someplace or is there a parking spot? Azazel, help me. So the thing about Lilith, is, you might know her from, she's been co-opted as like this feminist figure. Although recently from this book right here, I learned that the first time she uh, sort of is described in the Talmud, it is sarcastically. It's not meant to be taken literally. So this idea of like, oh, yeah, she was Adam's first wife and she's a feminist icon, like that is built on a lie. Sorry, everybody.
3: That's okay. Because we know. (laughs) I mean, all of this is, but whatever. And yet, most of the medieval amulets that we have are anti-Lilith. Because she'll take your babies. Right. And maybe your husband. And maybe your husband. Right, although there's the succubus. That's right. It's good for that. Now, I'd like to just tell you a quick thing. Last night, I was reading up on the incubus and the succubus for this conversation and decided I would take a little break and do the Wednesday New York Times crossword puzzle. Oh, my God. And the first clue that I saw (laughs) was uh, the name of a certain demon, uh, and it was the answer was Incubi.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. So can you explain what... Incubus and Succubus are?
3: So they're the male and female equivalents of these demons that, um, for whatever reason, are interested in bedding uh, a human being. And here's what I learned. I learned from uh, Trachtenberg Mm -hmm. is that we know from the story of the uh, giant's in, you know the giants born of the angels who mated with uh, human females in the story of Genesis. This is before the flood, right. Um, and it says and there were giants in those days, the heroes of old who were born, they were the sons of the daughters of men yeah. who um, uh, mated with, the, with angels. And so these, so there's this idea that we know that there can be divine and human uh, offspring, hybrid babies. Hybrid babies, yes. And so, I my understanding is is that in the hierarchy of demons, the most powerful of those and the ones that get like top spot are hybrid, half demon, half human babies. And so, as a way of like so, ensuring, that's what I have. <laughs> yes,
0: Dan, you so, might want to get that
3: checked yeah. out.
1: So oh powerful
3: baby. As a way of ensuring that your offspring will be one of these higher demons, if you are a succubus, you will seduce a male human and make sure that then your baby will be one of these demons yeah. that will be seen as having a great, great demonic potential
1: so at this point i have to stop immediately applying this to my own family yes, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> if i do have a half demon child then that would mean well, I think, oh my god yes can't, you'd can't have to think there. about
0: where do you like
3: the dominoes are <laughs> no
0: wonder that amulet didn't work it was not nearly powerful <laughs> enough
3: but i wonder if it would be like when a bodhisattva is born in buddhism yeah and the monks come and say hey by the way your child's bodhisattva we're gonna have to take him or her usually him to the temple mm-hmm. yeah. i wonder if there's like an entourage of like demons that come and say hey listen sorry for the mistake this is actually one of ours if you don't mind switch the birth. yes yeah, well actually the birth. that is yeah, well, where, the that is the
0: changeling in jewish thought that's the changeling the baby changeling it's not like a i know there's different different cultures have different ideas about what changeling babies are but that's what they are in jewish thought
3: yes now, I will tell you that people have not stopped attempting to have these relationships with <laughs> what might be considered a very sexy demoness. And there was recently, so there's a, people know the website Reddit. Oh, is love you know, Reddit. I do. love Reddit. Reddit is made up of, for, for you listeners who might not know, made <laughs> up of these subreddits of anything you can possibly imagine. There's reddits for sports cars, for sports teams, for um shower who, thoughts shower yeah thoughts. I love shower yeah. um I particularly like the one for role-playing games mm-hmm. just so I can do that in my own on my own time and talk listen to what other people there's say one
0: for me. every book fandom every TV anything fandom anything yes.
3: and there's also one called Reddit occult and there's a very uh sort of infamous thing that happened I think this year last I think it was actually May of this year. When somebody posted to the Reddit occult asking, can somebody please give me advice on how I can summon a sexy demon <laughs> girlfriend?
0: Wow. First of all, they're not in it for a long-term relationship. So no. he should be ready for that.
3: Yes. And it might be one that ends with complete evisceration and beheading.
0: And so. if he's fine with that, at least sure. he knows what he's we're getting into. do.
3: warnings so. given, were yeah. adequate warnings provided. I think it, end- it actually ended up going viral – And there was actually a story about it on uh, Gizmodo.
2: Oh, my
0: God. So I
3: I highly – which I read religiously, Wait, did
0: he claim that it worked out?
3: I don't think so. Because I I
0: can't imagine that it would have.
3: I think part of the thing was a piling on about what the proper ritual should be.
0: They'll find you.
3: Well, maybe that was the problem.
0: Like, if they want to have a hybrid baby with you, they'll find you. You don't really need to do anything.
3: And it may not be the guy who posts to Reddit a And maybe they're like, mm, no, her.
2: pass. But when a demon comes to you or chooses you, do you know?
3: Well, it's probably happening in this amazing, erotic, hypnotic moment, right? Right. When you're like, you know, I don't know what's happening here, but... Why not? And
0: it's supposed to be in your dreams.
3: Right, so that was quite a dream I just
1: had.
0: Yes, and then there's a prayer that you say the next day. I'm like, oh my God, I had this dream. I really hope this wasn't real. And so like, there's prayers you can say afterwards after you've had a sexy dream. And you're just like, I hope no demon babies are going to happen from this dream.
3: Yes. Now, not to get too graphic, I don't know how um N S F W were or allowed PTB to do thirteen slash Sometimes <laughs> um, men when they sleep have what are called nocturnal emissions, which are involuntary. And that is
0: demon and sex that is right demon there. sex
3: right there. And in fact, that that's exactly what it is. it's being it taken by the demon. Yep. So that's why that happens.
2: Yes. I wonder what Freud would have to say about this. I'm being sure a, a lot. Right, but like, but like being a Jew too, and then also his theory on, you know. Yeah. what dreams but do and we know,
0: did Freud have any, like, did he ever talk, I don't really know, but do you, did he ever talk about Jewish demonic thought?
2: No, but he did talk a lot about dreaming.
0: That's true.
2: Yeah, about, you know, we dream our fears and our desires as told through the... Residue of the day. And we definitely want to do an episode on dreaming and divination. And actually, there is um, a kind of thought which goes back to the Celtic um, tradition. But also, I think, something that Miriam and I have discussed and something that I definitely believe in is that if you dream of someone who is deceased, that you're actually communicating with that person.
0: Which is considered
2: perfectly legitimate.
0: Yeah. It's not considered necromancy. Um, in Jewish thought, like it's a it's a way you can do that. In fact, there's yeah. the thought that if you if you are trying to get a dream of a ghost, like you're trying to communicate with somebody, you can enter a cemetery. You say to or Psalms 91 to clear out the demons. So you're just talking to the ghosts and then you can lay down on a grave and dream that way. So it's not unheard of. Like this is a pretty common um, idea mm-hmm. that it's considered normal to try and in within the dream context no matter which is the difference how
3: you slice it yeah that's magic that is magic yeah it's a, it's a practice of magic that again gets embedded into yeah. a way of making sense of these practices within a religious context which also goes back to the idea really which is far outside the scope of what we're talking about here but that probably practices of magic existed before religions as a codified thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That people were more likely trying to communicate with spirits of the dead than they were saying prayers to a single deity.
2: Yes. And there was another thing that I read yesterday, I think, about rituals that somebody does do at a grave to prevent um, a dybbuk from coming back and inhabiting you. And I think it requires a minion of Mm -hmm. ten men where you – like, you know, surround the grave of the person and forgive them or forgive people on their behalf so that they
0: don't come back and Or it's also that um, before someone dies, you have to apologize to them so they won't come haunt you afterwards. you just got to clear up any interpersonal issues you might have with an impending dead person so they won't have a reason to come back and haunt you.
3: Yes. But I mean, you know, personally, so both my parents have passed and I would say that it's very, it's not often that I dream about them, but when I do, there are no other dreams like those dreams. Wow. Well, uh, Nothing else feels yeah. like those dreams feel.
0: Yes. I mean, I've, uh, one of my parents is no longer with us and I also feel the same way that it's a, and I don't know if that's just because in my own mind sure, I make sure. it different. Or if this really, and I know Ashley and I, yes, we've talked about this a lot. Is it really uh, the dead reaching out and trying to convey an idea?
3: Right. Or the way in which, I mean, who knows? Or are I just... did
0: request a more specific haunting for my father before he died. But I don't know if it's just impossible or if I'm missing the clues.
3: Yes. I mean, or maybe he's just busy. <laughs>
0: maybe he's just busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, so Peter, I want to talk a little bit about the issue of angels. When I was a child, uh, one of my very favorite things to do Jewishly at the Passover Seder was to obsessively watch the glass that we left out for Elijah to see if the level of that glass had moved because I fully believed that Elijah was a ghost who would come into the house, drink some booze, go to the next house, drink some booze, and keep stumbling (laughs) onto every Jewish house in Lexington, which has frankly quite a few Um,
3: Bar hopping is what they call it.
0: Yeah, yeah. bar hopping. Seder hopping.
1: So I internalized this idea that angels, who in many ways seem to act the same way as ghosts, they come to people to tell them things, they instruct them on how to be, or they're trying to uh, solve a problem or something. Um, How do angels differ from ghosts in the Jewish tradition? Angels are okay. We know they're kosher and ghosts are trafe, I guess. It
3: depends. Yes, it depends. I also think that you have to understand that most angelic encounters in the Bible, uh, uh, or at least a good portion of them, my understanding, is they are not fun encounters, right? No. The first angel <laughs> is guarding Eden the f- with a flaming sword. No and he good. evicts Adam and Eve. He evicts Adam and Eve. And that's a, that's a, a seraphim. Um, At the garden. And we know later that the seraphim from um, Ezekiel's vision are, you can barely look at them, right? Yeah. Um, Really
1: jerked around Abraham, didn't they? That's right.
3: You also have uh, Jacob seeing the angels descend uh, and ascend the ladder after he fights with an angel, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things he says there, there's an interesting way we there's um, he says in some translations uh, after that happens, he says how holy this place is, or this is a sacred place. This is a blessed place and pours the oil on the stone. But there's another way I understand to, to translate the Hebrew, which is that how awful is this place? How, How terrible, how terrible and terrible is not in the sense of it's evil, terrible. It's just, it's, It's terrifying, because when you are face-to-face with God in that way, it's the same reason why God says to Moses, no one shall look upon me and live, right? right? So when you're face-to-face with the divine, the thing about spirits is that... If they are manifesting in the world, I mean again, and i'm I know that I'm sounding like I'm speaking as if this is all scientifically measurable, we're just talking about these things in terms of their legends, it's right?
1: Halloween that's why we're yeah. Halloween, this.
3: and whether we believe them or not, I think is um is our own thing to decide upon. I do think though, that trying to prove or disprove these things is a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. I think just engaging with these ideas and thinking about them and telling these stories is, is a very enchanted way to sort of live in the world. And so, but the thing about spirits is, is that they're already something about them is kind of dross or material. in the Mm -hmm. fact that they are still connected to the body, where the angels really are these divine beings that are sort of have to communicate in these ways because they're so terrible, have to use things like dreams or things ultimately to get the thing or to, to, um, to disguise themselves in a way. But even yeah. when they've disguised themselves, something about their divinity is bleeding through, right? Mm-hmm. It can't be contained. They, I don't think that there's a, a legend where an angel could inhabit a body in the way that a dibuk say, could.
0: Pretty much every time we see an angel in the Torah, it's scary as hell. Like, we see the angel that shows up as a pillar of fire. We see the angel of death in the Passover story come and kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt. Like, this is how we meet angels. They're not, like, peaceful, happy, with, you know, a halo and... And wings,
3: and in Job we see the oh, Satan God. as yeah. being, you know, somebody who really just wrecks everything right. for Job.
0: Right, and that's why we have to recognize that in Judaism, angels and demons are just two different jobs of the same kinds of entities.
3: That's right, and in myst- in Jewish mysticism in Kabbalah, when you are trying to ascend the various heavens Mm -hmm. it's the angels that are trying to stop you yeah and essentially what we have these uh you can find these texts they're essentially just phone books of angels yes (laughs) of all these thousands of names and they are so that the mystic or the magician will have the name with which to banish the angel so that they can make it because they're sort of being um, hounded on and attacked by these divine creatures. Um, so yes, they're not um, they're not those who would help you say find your lost ring.
2: Christianity, there's there are patron saints that you go to, right? To you know, there's what is it, Saint Anthony, or something about lost, lost things, lost yes. things. And then also in you know Catholicism, there are. People think that their dead loved ones become angels. That's right. So, and ghosts aren't how they're manifested.
3: Yes. Is there anything in Judaism about people becoming angels? Well, I just
2: want to circle back to Dan's point about
0: Elijah the prophet, because what we have here in Elijah is an instance of a human being, a prophet, but who didn't die. So he's not a ghost. He was just taken up to heaven. Oh, right, yes. So it's slightly different than a normal person who died and they're a, and they're a ghost. Like, so he
1: is in a spirit form and he, he is does a actually spirit, drink
0: the he's, wine. Yes, clearly he obviously drinks the wine. But he's, he's kind of in a different category than other human beings.
3: Right. He's sort of a precursor, I think, for uh, Christianity and what would be called the rapture.
0: Yes. Where yes. you are
3: literally taken up yes. in bodily form to heaven.
0: And there's only a few times in Judaism in which this happens. With him, it's very interesting. With Moses and Miriam and Aaron, they die through receiving God's kiss. So they are directly like beamed up. Like, so that's how they die, because of revelation of God, um, as opposed to normal death like the rest of
1: us will eventually experience. My like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. job is to drink heavily and then have a 357-day hangover.
0: Well, he's got a job at the end of time before uh okay, I mean, day to, day to day. He, he's the, <laughs>
3: day to day.
0: He's, the um, he's going to let us know when the messiah is here that's his job it's a big job yeah. dan
3: he's just waiting to hit send on. <laughs> the-
2: he's here
3: now no now, no
2: but speaking of drinking a lot and <laughs> and people coming back from the dead whether they exist you know what about vampires Right, because we think of, because vampires are kind of undead. They do drink blood in order mm-hmm. to become a vampire. You have to, like, die with vampire blood in your system, and then you wake up again, and then you need to drink human blood to complete the um, transition. Seems
3: to know a lot about this. This is
2: definitely not a Jewish take on that. Right, I know, but just just in general. I used to be a big Buffy fan. Hey, aren't, sure we, all, aren't
3: you know. we all? Aren't we all? Aren't right. we
2: all? Right, but also just, like, horror stories are just so interesting, but... A constant with these stories is the idea of vampires being a kind of undead. So, like, Mm -hmm. Peter, like, what are, like, is there anything about vampirism or anything closely related to that in Judaism?
3: I mean, I think Lilith is the most popular of sort of a vampiric entity. Well, she's
0: the most famous.
3: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: I'm going to critique her until then. My dying
3: (laughs) (laughs) day. Um, yeah I don't know do you know well about-
0: there are there are ideas about vampires, but in Judaism it's different from how we think about it like from Buffy or other other um like ideas where it's not a human being being transformed that was an idea that came later in Judaism but at first it was just um another form of demon uh, and they could change shape so there's a story and this is, again, not actually in the text, it's just a story about King Solomon building the temple, and he's like, he's got a friend who's working on it, and he's like, why are you so skinny? And the the kid's like, well, I mean, this demon shows up, and he takes all my money, and he eats half my food, and then he sucks blood out of my thumb. Uh." And so, (laughs) kind of a downer. So, (laughs) that was like a a King Solomon-level story, but clearly, it's a demon. It is not a person. But then later, in sort of the Middle Ages Ashkenazi traditions, there are Female vampires um, that that appear to have at one point been a person. They do possess a soul.
3: So but then they have kind like of succubus type
0: qualities, not though? Not quite, but they do. Like the funny thing is that um, the only way that they can fly is if they take their hair out of their ponytail. So if you need to control a vampire, you just make sure that her hair is like in a braid or a ponytail and then she can't do anything. So, and and if you kill one of them, they can stu- still do vampire stuff, so you have to put dirt in their mouths. And that's what I know about Jewish vampires. <laughs> yeah, that's
3: quite a lot. <laughs> so I will say that the thing that's important for me as we're thinking about Halloween, though, is that I do think that we need to make Halloween spooky again. Yeah, yes. I feel yes. like, I like you Halloween has Thank really you. lost a lot of it. I, I saw recently somebody had posted online a knockoff, these knockoff Halloween costumes when they can't get the trademarks, you oh know, to God. make real ones. Oh, no. And, um, you know, the character Wednesday Adams yes. from the Adams family, there was a knockoff Halloween costume, and the title was, I. Uh, the name of it, I kid you not, was Midweek Evil oh Girl. Oh, my
2: God. Are you serious?
3: Midweek <laughs> Evil Girl.
2: That is
1: repulsive. But you know what? That That's the right spirit. Because oh my Halloween God. is about evil, evil spirits, evil yes. ghosts,
3: but only midweek,
1: right?
0: Only midweek, like Thursday. Evil, yeah.
1: right?
3: Do we have to dress like
1: superheroes? No, no,
3: no, no. no. Oh, villains, villains, but villains. not even villains. Only these creatures from legend.
0: That's right. That's right. They have to be really scary. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Peter, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. For again. joining us again. I'd love to come back. And uh, thank you to our listeners out there, humans, ghosts, vampires, and demons for listening to this podcast. If you still have a corporeal body, remember to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to the Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email or haunt us at podcast at JewishBoston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests and curses. Thanks as always to our editor Jesse, our composer Ryan, and thank you to my favorite demon Azazel for being my everything.